What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We are talking about dealing with challenging parents from with Charlotte Koenig. There you go. Charlotte Koenig about... She, she works in the risk management part of, of the hospital, and so they deal with a lot of... Uh, challenging patients or parents or people angry about their bills. And so she's presenting here at the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update live. So this will be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash challenging parents. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash challenging parents. Because as athletic trainers, we've got to deal with some challenging parents. And so one of the things in your presentation, um, you said stop saying sorry, apologize. Can you explain that? So many years ago, somebody told me, I said, I'm sorry. And they said, don't ever say you're sorry. That's a character reference, which I found very interesting. But after giving it some thought and actually working with one of our lawyers who kind of recommended using the word apologize and putting out there, you apologize that they feel that way, or you apologize that they didn't understand their treatment was going to take this long or so the word apologize for specifically what it is they use or they're concerned with usually goes over better. So that's actually really cool because with my kids, I teach them to say, like, I don't say, hey, son, I'm sorry for doing that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened, you know, or if, if it's specifically like dealing with me, I say, I apologize. Will you forgive me? And so we ask for that forgiveness when in that situation. And a lot of times it's not just. I apologize. It's I apologize for right. just like you just said that you feel bad. Or I I apologize that I didn't keep my end of the deal. You know, so I, I try to be specific and and make sure I name that thing. So that's really cool um, that you mentioned that because some people will just say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." Just I apologize that you feel that way. So people find that very empty. You can be sorry that the the athlete had their injury because that just happened. Yeah. I'm sorry that you had this injury versus I apologize that you don't feel like your tra- your treatment is going as you had planned. Yeah, and it just changes the perspective like you said it's not empty it's there's some substance, substance to it. Yeah. Right. So, very good. Um obviously you shared a lot of stories in there and we'll get to some of those but um you I also mentioned use a 5 minute rule so if somebody's like venting or ranting um to so talk a little bit about that and then uh, I want to know what the next steps are after that, because you said proceed with the next steps. So talk to me a little bit about the five-minute rule, and then go from there. Okay. In my early career, I, I get a lot of calls of people that had been on the phone for 42 minutes with a disgruntled parent or a disgruntled patient and or 30 minutes, and I would stop them right there and say, whoa, right there's your first mistake. You've been on the phone or talking to them in person far too long. Somebody has says what they have to say usually within five to 10 minutes. So I recommend nobody talks. These conversations never should last more than 10 minutes. And I try to lean more towards five. After that, I stop them and I literally summarize what they're saying. So I will say what I hear you saying is, and then I'll use bullet points, A, B, and C. And that way they know that I'm listening to them and I've heard what their concerns are. And it doesn't drag on for an inordinate amount of time. All right. So you're in a situation. So like in in the high school, I'm going to be dealing with either the coach, uh, the administrator, the parent, or the patient themselves. Right. And so I don't know if it's any different in the hospital than in the actual high school setting, but if I'm there and I have the parent mad because their athlete isn't being taken care of how they see fit. So if I stop uh, and say, okay, so 
this is what I'm understanding you to say is that you're, you don't feel like your kid is getting attention. He's not getting better because he's not getting the attention that you think he deserves. And we haven't done anything else to further the care. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, so just going back over those points, that's, that's more or less. Exactly. So okay. you're, you've listened to them for, let's say, seven or eight minutes. That's what they're complaining about. Then you stop them and say, so what I'm hear- hearing you say is you're concerned because of these three things. And then move to the next steps. Then you might talk about, are they even correct with that? They might not know what type of things you've been doing. They're not there most of the time. So it might be that you validate their concerns by saying, this is how we're addressing them. Or it might be giving them some information about how you plan to do X in the future and kind of include them a little bit more on that plan to make them feel like they're a part Mm -hmm. of it. And sometimes that will kind of calm them down. That's one of the things I learned early on in doing this podcast is somebody talked about um, by if if I spoke to your athlete out in the parking lot or your patient out in the parking lot, they should know what the plan is for the rest of the day and for tomorrow and until the next time they come see you. And so that's one of the things I've tried to do is say, hey, today this is what we're going to do. Tomorrow we're going we're gonna to do this, the next day this, and we're going to continue that. And if by next Monday you're not any better or you're worse, we're going to send you to the doctor. Right. And so then that way they have an idea of a plan. So that's something that I've tried to incorporate. There you go. Just I think that's a great idea because then they buy in. So, you know, I'm not so sure that it's not for a, a minor, which a lot of times I'm sure you're treating. I'm not so sure that that's not shouldn't be shared with the parent as well. Make them feel like a part of the of the team. Yeah. And again, it just depends on your situation. We don't have a whole lot of parent involvement or. Uh, we do have a lot of non-English speaking mm-hmm. parents, and so it's a little bit harder. So, I, you know, there's a lot of times where I say, "Hey, call your parent, make sure that they understand this. If they have questions, you ask me, and I'll I'll clarify that kind right. of thing." Right. So, all right. And then, what would you do if you somebody's five minutes, you do your restating of their concerns, but then they kind of continue to go right back in that loop? I stop if if they're talking about the same things, which most of the time they are. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of has a core what they're calling about, whether it be in the acute care setting, if they're mad about their bill or the way they were treated personally, they all, they're calling or coming to you with a core concern or two or three. If you've already addressed those, there's nothing wrong with saying, so I hear you again saying that these are your concerns and I think we've addressed them and we need to now move forward because I talked about getting out of that mode where they just keep taking it down and taking it down. Unless somebody stops that, it's not going to ever change. So that's kind of the time limit and the redirection. Okay, we hear your concerns, but now this is what we're going to do about them. And let's see if this works. And if it doesn't, we'll reassess, kind of like you said on Monday. If you're not any better, we're going to reassess and come up with a new plan, whatever that may be. All right, so again, like you said, just re, just restating, saying this is what we already went mm-hmm. over. Do you feel that we've adequately covered that? Right. Yes. Okay, so then let's move forward with these steps that we that we discussed as well. And you will have a person that, you, you know, you bring up, we, do you feel that we've adequately covered that? There's going to be some people that it's never enough. It's just not ever going to be enough. And at that point, you almost have to agree to disagree or it'll just keep on going. So at that point, you know, is when you might bring in the, I apologize that you're not seeing this the way I'm trying to put it forth. And maybe we'll work on that going forward. It's basically saying, you know, I've given you really all I can give you. Because there is a point where they can just talk and talk, and there's really not anything else you can give them. I mean, there are a lot of times when I'm dealing with things in my world, I have to say, you know, we've done our investigation. 
we feel like the standard of care has been met. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused you. And so the next the next line might be, well, then I'm going to call my lawyer. Well, you're certainly at liberty to do that. I hope that you don't feel the need to do so, but that's totally your prerogative. And so one of the big things you talked about was setting boundaries. Um, so talk about just how you've done that and maybe give an example or two of, of how you've seen that really go poorly. So I think boundaries are, are critical in all of our lives. So in our personal lives, and, and I don't know, I didn't learn that as a young person. I've learned it much more in the job I'm doing now. So people are not going to know what your boundaries are unless you make them clear. So you have to think about how much are you willing to tolerate. Um, and you might be willing to tolerate a, a parent that's angst-ridden a little bit more than another, maybe due to their culture or their family conditions or for whatever reason. But you have to figure out where your boundaries lie. Then you have to make those expectations clear. So if they start, like you said, this is what I'm going to do with your child, or, or you make it clear to the patient, we're going to do this for the next five days. If this doesn't work, then we're going to alter this plan of care or this treatment plan. And then we'll move forward from there so that that boundary has been set. We're not going to change it after two days just because you don't feel any better or it might hurt a little bit. We probably aren't going to change that. We're going to wait until Monday because that's really what we have set up. Um, It's hard to stick to those boundaries at first. But if you know that that's what it is, and that's more of a treatment plan, you know, with emotions and dealing with the, the coach or the parent that's emotionally involved, that might be, you know, rude, disrespectful. Those are boundaries that as human beings we should all set for ourselves that there is absolutely no reason that we should have to endure that. And so I think you can kindly tell someone, you know, I know you're upset that your son or daughter is not getting better or that this is taking longer than you want. However, you're going to have to work with me here, and I can't really help you or help your child if you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And so you kind of let them know that, you know, you can't tell me how to do my therapy. You can't call me on the phone and holler or raise your voice or use profanity, whatever the case may be. All right. So in that situation, you got a parent who's up there and it, it happens. You know, there's a parent like yelling and cussing in person. How would you deal with that situation? Miss Smith, I'm going to have to ask you to leave unless you're able to lower your voice or stop cursing or... You know, I'm unable to help you in the condition that you're presenting yourself in right now. This is non-therapeutic. We're not going to get anywhere with this. I would love to sit down and talk to you, but it's going to have to be at a time when you're in a better place. I read a, a book on leadership by Jocko Wilnick about uh, it's called Extreme Ownership, and then actually doc, Dr. Mark Knobloch talked about it as well. Um, like you in the Extreme Ownership, he talked about check your ego. Mm-hmm. So, are you? Is this really like are you just? adding fuel to the fire by getting all hopped up and defensive or are you just like you're just saying remain calm miss smith i i am unable to communicate with you at this time right. whenever whenever you're ready to communicate adult to adult um or you know in a calm professional manner then we can we can continue this conversation i'm more than happy to go sit with you in front of the principal or in front of the uh, head coach or sure. any other group of adults and we can have that conversation there um and then he he said that the older athletic trainers usually aren't the ones that are getting all like hyped up. It's the younger ones that feel like they have to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, as a young professional, if you can learn, just rely on your training and your education and stay cool and calm. Because when you get 
when you let those emotions enter it, then it changes everything. That was the first bullet on the first slide. Don't let them drag you down. Yeah. Because when you engage and enter into that, and it was interesting because I learned that with my children later. Yes. And and it's kind of, (laughs) right. It's very interesting because if you don't, you know, they say something and if you just smile and say, I'm really sorry you feel that way and you don't engage, they don't know what to do. They just, it literally, it's a a retreat. Mm -hmm. Wow. She's not even going to say anything. (laughs) I will confess. I still struggle with that a lot. And, and, you know, that's, once again, that's just something that comes after multiple times of doing Uh it. So, um, when in the AT care, AT cares course that Bubba teaches, he, he talks, it's about dealing with, um, mental health and patients Mm -hmm. who are, or in our case, athletes that, are contemplating self-harm and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's one of the things is is moving them to the cognitive. And so that's what kind of what you talked about um, is getting them into a calmer state. So moving them into the reasoning state or that kind of right. thing. Right, um, de-escalation. You, yeah, de-escalation. So can you talk about that a little bit more? I think de-escalation has become, that word alone has become a buzzword because of all the mental health issues and what we're seeing in like hospital ERs, actually in every aspect of life now, um, you know, in fast food restaurants, everywhere. So de-escalating, it certainly doesn't mean throwing fuel on the fire. And as a as a athletic trainer, a nurse, a parent, you know, we, we all, that's our natural tendency is to engage. And I think sometimes it's better to step back and, like you said, get them to that cognitive reasoning and say, you know, hey, Let's talk about this. Let's all take a breath or maybe let's take a break and just, you know, walk away for a few minutes or a day or whatever it takes and then come back and reassess the situation if that's a safe thing to do. I mean, sometimes that's not a safe thing to do, but de-escalation is becoming a huge topic and I don't think it's going anywhere, especially with the state of our, our mental health crisis right now, which so- is crossing over into every other aspect of life. So just kind of continuing on that, um, can you give us some other practical examples about de-escalation, like how to handle it or uh, what it may look like in a different setting? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to remain calm. I think that's the the biggest thing. It's funny you ask that because in a hospital setting, we're doing a lot of training on de-escalation. Um, I haven't had my part yet, but I've had a, a prior course, but we're ramping it up. Um, it's... You know, it's it's meeting that person, whether they be a athlete, a parent, a patient, where they are at that time, at that given time. You have to th- kind of assess where they are. And first, you you know, you assess, are they safe? Are the people around them safe? Because that, first and foremost, you take care of that. Then, like I said, you never throw fuel on the fire, and which we all, that's kind of how we're programmed. It's just a natural instinct to do so. So it's very, it's intuitive to jump in and say, no, it's not that way, or yes, we're going to do this. Whereas we really should back up and say, so tell me why you feel like it should be done this way, or tell me why you're so upset this afternoon, Johnny. What's bothering you? Even though it might have absolutely nothing to do with your athletic training, something's going on and that child's head or in his world at home or in his world at school you know I'm, I'm a big proponent of treating the whole being I mean maybe that's the nurse in me but I think athletic trainers social workers everybody in this profession needs to stop and take a look at the whole person versus our little piece of that person 
You know, that's why I referred to that video that I told everybody to go on YouTube and watch. Very, it definitely grounds us. I, we are in the process of adopting um, and we have to go through like all those classes because, you know, it's trauma-informed care and that kind of thing. And there's just so much you, you don't realize like how much just this one thing, like it seems like, yes, it's just mac and cheese, but no, maybe that's the only thing that they had for their life or they only, they never got to eat that or they got beat whenever they ate that or something. Right. And so there's so many, so much else going on where you do really have to just slow down like you just said and ask meet them where they are what is going on what you know why do you feel this way and then allow that allow them to explain that so you know even the even the kid that i mean are all your kids compliant um no (laughs) so maybe talk to them about why aren't they compliant get their viewpoint on it yeah i mean there's something that's holding them back from being you know maybe they are just lazy but there might be a whole lot more to that but if nobody asks them You'll never find out. So even a question like, why are you having trouble uh, showing up for rehab? Or why are you having trouble completing this exercise? But rephrase it and don't use why because it's accusatory. I see that you've missed X number of visits. Can you tell me about that? And it makes them talk. There you go. I've been through all these courses and I'm still... Right. So the why, what, where, those are kind of a little bit more accusatory versus the fluffy, you know, can we talk about X or... Tell me what you think about why. And it, it sometimes will, you know, spur them onto a bigger conversation versus just why they didn't show up to therapy yesterday. You know, maybe they don't have transportation. Maybe their parent won't let them come. Or th- there can be any host of things that's going on. Maybe they're just lazy. <laughs> maybe. And then one of the things I know is kind of going back to the boundaries is you talked about uh, the cell phones and there's a lot of athletic trainers that do, and, you know, I've mentioned in several other conversations is there's apps like Remind, um, which allows educators to basically text students mm-hmm. that join their class. Um, and those kind of things are safe and it allows you to set right. class hours and, you know, our office hours so that it's not outside. It's not your personal cell phone and then they can't call you through that. So that's another great option for allowing that communication so that you can communicate and have conversations documented with parents and um, that kind of thing. But what are some of the other um, hesitations you have about giving out cell phone numbers? I think a, I think it's just a huge pitfall to give out your cell phone number. An app like that is the way to do it, the apps that you're talking about. If you give out your personal cell phone number, it's out. You do it one time, it's out there. If you call somebody from your personal cell phone number, they've got it. So, I, you know, unless I think there's a way you can block it. Like I said, I'm not technical. I just, I'm a big proponent of not going there because you can't go backwards. And none of that's documented accurately. So from where I stand as a risk manager in the legal world, if there were ever to be a claim, lawsuit, any type of legal action, you know, it's going to be a he said, she said. Uh, I'd rather have my care, conversations, et cetera, documented than out there for anybody basically to see. I mean, those records can be pulled. And in this day and age of accusations and many sorts of types of negative connotations, I just highly recommend about sharing cell phone numbers because, you know, and kids, you know, kids are going to text you all hours. You can set boundaries and they're not going to, they're not going to keep them most likely. Yeah. So it's, it's just best not to go there. I don't give my email address out. Oh, really? Why is that? Because I would get flooded, I, I, not within my institution, 
but like to outside patients or family members. Okay, I got you. Because otherwise, it's they, it's out. Now, don't get me wrong, they can find it. It's not that hard to find. Right. But I don't volunteer that because it's just not a good source. You lose all of the personal touch, too. I mean, and like kind of like I said in the presentation, it's all in the presentation, like how you tell somebody to sit down. You know, there's multiple ways to do it. There's nice ways and there's not so nice ways. And you can't, you can't see that or hear that in email or in a text. Compassion does not come through in an email. It does not. It can be so easily lost in. And, you know, caps mean one thing to one person and another person might read it and say, oh, my God, she's so mad. Mm-hmm. And I might not have been. I'm just so excited. Right. Yeah. So I, I, you lose a lot there. All right. So <laughs> I kind of on a, on a closing out here, you just said you don't get out your cell phone or email. So if somebody does want to get a hold of you, maybe ask you some more questions, uh, find out some more. I give them my they... office phone number. Okay. So, so I'll give out my business phone number. All right. And, and they can call me. If I need to send people things, I send it in the mail. We send it in the mail from our office. All right, so what about the podcast listeners, if they want to reach out to you? Probably an office number. Office phone? Mm-hmm. All right. So can you give that out? Mm-hmm. Do you know it? 713-242-2426. 713-242-2426? Correct. Fantastic. Eddie, you got that? <laughs> All right. Um, so for Charlotte Koenig, Jeremy Jackson, the Sports Medicine Broadcast live at the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update, I think... That is a wrap. Make sure you set boundaries um, and and know that it's okay for you to, to say no, to, to talk to me like a human. So anything else? I think that's it. Good luck. All right. Thank you very much.